0: Today we're going to talk to uh, to Nikki Ison from the uh, the Community Power Agency, which is an Australian-based outfit which helps communities set up um, community renewable energy projects. Essentially, so uh, things like the uh, the community-owned wind farms down at Hepburn Springs and uh, around the world. There's thousands of these things apparently. So we're going to catch up all about that today. Are you there, Nikki?
1: I am indeed, sorry.
0: Excellent, excellent. Uh, now, uh, I guess, can you explain to us for st- beginnings, uh, what is the Community Power Agency?
1: Uh, so the Community Power Agency is a not-for-profit organisation that was set up in 2011 to grow a vibrant community energy sector in Australia.
0: Okay, um, what's community energy?
1: So community energy is where a community comes from together to develop, deliver, and benefit from sustainable energy. So uh, an example would be a community solar project, like the one that's being developed in Canberra at the moment by a great organisation called Solarshare. Australia's flagship community energy project is uh, Hepburn Wind. It's a Two Turbine Wind farm in central Victoria, it's owned by a cooperative of 2,000 members, the majority of whom are local to that area. Um, but it also encompasses broader um, ranges of sustainable energy projects. So, for example, there's a group in the northern rivers of New South Wales that's developing a community-oriented energy retailer so that they can have more control about where their energy comes from and to be able to support renewable energy projects on the ground in that region.
0: Um, so give us a little overview of how the uh, the electricity sector works in Australia.
1: Sure, so we have a, a very centralised energy system in Australia, um, more so almost than anywhere in the world. So what happens is you have traditionally large electricity generators, majority of these are coal-fired power station, but some large hydro, few gas turbines. Um, They then transport electricity across the transmission network, or the big poles and wires that you see marching across the countryside. They then step down to the distribution network, which is uh, the poles and wires that you see outside your house and connect you to your house. And then an end user, such as a household or a business, then consumes electricity. So we're talking about one-way flows. Um, that's then regulated uh, by the Australian Energy Regulator there's the Australian Energy Market Operator and there. there's the Rulemaker as well and then it's all governed by the um, uh, COAG Energy Council, so all of the energy ministers from all the states and territories and the federal governments around Australia and then finally the key actor, the other key actor, the one that your listeners and um, myself engage with is the retailer, the organisation that sells you the energy, they buy it from the the generators, they pass on the cost of the distribution network and then you um, you know, engage with them as a customer. So a bit of a snapshot. Um, but the thing to say is that energy systems across the world, including in Australia, are in a rapid transition, an unprecedented um, period of transition because we're seeing the advent of decentralised energy technologies, both energy efficiency on the demand side, but also things like solar uh, storage and those things that you can put in your own home or in your own community. Uh, so we're seeing, instead of, we're going to have a future in our energy system, which is not just a few large coal-fired power stations, but thousands and thousands of small generators spread across the countryside. What's, uh,
0: what's the problem with, with having a centralised uh, generation system?
1: Well, there's a few problems. One, when you talk about centralisation, you're talking about centralisation of power, both, um, you know, in, in this case, electrically, uh, um, as in <laughs> electricity power, but also concentrating of, of power within our economic system. And when you start to decentralise that, more people have control and more people have power. So that's one side of the thing. And the other side is, you know, very much the climate issue. You know, the centralised energy systems are predominantly based on fuels that generate huge amounts of greenhouse gases. Whereas the new technologies that are decentralised are predominantly those which uh, don't generate uh, any greenhouse gases. They're clean. So we're seeing not only a shift from centralised to decentralised, but from polluting to clean.
0: Yeah, interesting. So give us a give us an idea of what the decentralised sort of power network might look like.
1: Well, you'll see many households have solar on their own roof. Some people also have battery storage. Um, then those people who can't put um, solar on their own roof, they might want to buy into a, a community wind farm or a community solar farm that sits at the edge of their community or on the roof of a warehouse you know, if it's an urban community or something like that. Um, you know, then we will have you know, larger scale bioenergy or, or um, wind farms, sort of. A little bit further away. Um, So what we'll see is a mixture um, of of really localised generation and generation that's a little bit further away as well. So, you know, it's a pretty exciting time. And it's not only exciting in terms of the technology change, but in terms of the business model change, because we're seeing, you know, what community energy projects are, are basically social enterprises set up so that community can benefit from this transition.
0: All right. Um, How about uh, was it? Was it community enterprises? You, yeah, social enterprises.
1: Social enterprises.
0: Yeah. What? uh, What are they?
1: So basically, social enterprises sit somewhere between a charity on one side and a for-profit business on the other side. They often use uh, traditional business models, um, but they're done for a social or environmental purpose. So. A food co-op that, that sources organic food um, might be a social enterprise, but so too uh, is, for example, in, in um, taking food examples. But there's a food truck um, enterprise set up in Melbourne, and it employs refugees. Um, so it's part of you know, creating a socially equitable uh, uh, opportunities. Um, community energy projects. are like that. We call community energy projects win-win-win-win-win they're good, <laughs> you know, you know we're, we're lucky in society if we get a win-win situation. community energy projects are really the sweet spot because not only are we talking about reducing greenhouse gas emissions and, and creating more environmentally sustainable energy systems, you're creating enterprises that are bringing people together and increasing social capital and social resilience, particularly in regional communities. You're creating enterprises that bring an income to that local community. So Hepburn WIND, for example, returns over $40,000 each year in grants to um, the community. So that community is less beholden to government or philanthropics and has that source of income to be able to feed new projects and new ideas. It's paid for you know, things around the men's shed. They're, they're paid for feasibility studies for how they could go um, and do more clean energy and, and things like that. Um, so it's good economically. Um, It's good technically because we're increasing the energy literacy of our communities so people can actually benefit from lower power bills um, and greater understanding. And then finally, it's good politically. So if we look to Germany, Germany has uh, some of the highest generation of renewable energy in the world and really been a world leader. What people might not know is that 50% of the renewable energy capacity in Germany is owned by citizens and communities. And whenever they try and change the law, there's significant backlash because people have both a financial and a psychological stake in a renewable energy future. And I don't have to tell you that we've got a political system that is not geared up to support renewable energy, particularly the, the ABBA government at the moment. So what we need <laughs> is more people who, who are really going to get behind and vocally oppose any cuts to the renewable energy legislation.
0: Yes, seems Mr Abbott's only interested in his own communities. Uh, yeah. So where did all this come from? What, what's, the, what's the sort of history of, of community-owned uh, and, and sort of initiated energy? So it
1: stems from Denmark. Uh, so back in the late uh, 80s in Denmark, they were going through oil price shocks. Um, they were also really concerned about the rise of nuclear energy. And they, the other thing that they had was these folk schools or, or community schools that were quite the sort of technical colleges. And so they combined these three things, so a social movement concerned about oil and nuclear, um, or lack of oil, lack of energy, and they started to develop what is now the global wind industry. A community literally came together, to, 800 people came together to build the first modern-day wind turbine. So if you drive past... Um, Lake George, and you see those three blade turbines, you can go think about the fact that the first one of those was built by a community. You know, they literally poured the concrete and 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 uh, shaped the towers and the blades and things like that. And I
0: suppose so, in those days there wouldn't have been any contractors available to do such a job.
1: That's really interesting to say is not only the ownership structures that a community, but like the global wind industry, comes from the community in Denmark. And, um, and then they started setting up, they, they had a tradition of these uh, guilds or cooperatives, farmer um, cooperatives in Germany, uh, no, in Denmark, sorry. And um, to, to start to scale the sector they started, um, um, communities would purchase a, part, a share in the, the single wind turbine that sat at the edge of their community. And then it grew and scaled, and there's now 150,000 people in Denmark who have a share in a community wind farm. And then it spread to Germany, from there it spread to the UK, to the US, and and finally to Australia.
0: So, when did it rear its head in this country?
1: Oh, well, there are a couple of groups. Uh, funnily enough, a, a community called Denmark in Western Australia, <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> um, and the and the Hepburn Wind, uh, the, the Hepburn and Daleford, um community in Central Victoria, started doing things at about the same time in sort of two thousand and four, two thousand and five. Um, but it didn't really catch on in Australia until about two thousand and eleven, two thousand and twelve. Um, uh, I uh, spent some time overseas in 2010. I visited 30 community energy projects overseas. But before I left, I knew of three community energy groups, including Denmark and Hepburn. Uh, I came back, and there are about seven or eight, and now we have 70 groups developing community energy projects around Australia and uh, 22 operating off into the operating projects. uh
0: That's... Fairly long. When was that first one again? It was in the 70s. Uh, uh,
1: so back in back in Denmark in, in Europe, it started in the late 70s. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, so it's, it's taken a while, but it, it's picking up. It's really exciting.
0: Well, I guess in terms of a movement, it's gone quite quick really, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, certainly the, the community energy movement in Australia has exploded in the last three years. Um, we actually had a, a conference in Canberra, the Community Energy Congress, uh, last year, and um, when we first started organising it yes, in 2013, uh, my colleagues and I thought we'd be lucky if we got out about 100 people, but then you sold out and we had 340
0: people. <laughs> Great.
1: So.
0: so, well, we'll unpack it a little bit. Um, how about, uh, we'll start with the community. I mean, how, how broad is the concept of community that, uh, that you're working with?
1: Yeah, so different groups have different definitions of community. Um, most groups uh, have a local definition of community. Uh, some groups have a, a sort of a community of interest. So there's a group called Clear Skies, um, which is based on the northern beaches of Sydney, but um, they do their projects in regional Australia. And, and they're, um, the people who are the members of, or, and investors in their projects uh, come from whoever is interested. So it's a real community of interest. But, you know, like I said, with Hepburn Wind, um, they have in the constitution that 50% of the members have to be from the local area. Um, and then uh, they allow businesses as well. Um, some, some groups just say, no, you know, it's households um, and citizens, but some people allow businesses as well. So, you know, it's, the community energy movement is a grassroots movement. Um, it's a, a grassroots social enterprise sector. And uh, so different communities, and groups within communities choose how to define um, what they mean by community.
0: Yeah, right. And I guess thinking with a uh, with an environmental sort of uh, sort of bent in my mind, uh, you could extend the community right to the uh, the planetary community, I suppose.
1: Exactly. Um, I've certainly got um, you know there are a, a couple of international investors in Pepper and Wind or members of Pepper and Wind, uh, and I think a couple more in Denmark um i think most of the rest uh, in australia australian owned, but um uh yeah okay. um certainly there's groups partnering in uh majority world or developing countries and doing some interesting community energy work there um so yeah like this is a very diverse um sector and it's, a, it's essentially about the rise of the, the community entrepreneur person who wants to do something for the benefit of their community, and and they define what that community is, and in many cases, it is the global community.
0: Yeah, right. So out there in the rest of the world, are there any particular examples that you reckon uh, have done it particularly well?
1: Oh, so many. There are tens, (laughs) if not hundreds of thousands of community energy projects. Um, I'll tell you about my favourites. Yes. Yes. so there's a little island off the west coast of Scotland called the Isle of Egg, um, and it's only got about 100 people on the island. Um, but they're, it's not a well-off island, a lot of, a number of subsistence farmers and, and you know, retirees and people on welfare. Um, and they were, they were, they were off-grid, um, and they're on diesel generators, and the cost of diesel was going up dramatically, and they decided that they would get together, and they already had a community development trust which all of the people on the island were members of. Um, and that development draft got some funding and has, uh, through a range of means, set up the first mini-grid that is powered by three types of renewable energy. So they've got 100 kilowatts small hydro system, uh, 24 kilowatts of wind, and then 30 kilowatts of solar, and then battery storage. And it connects all of the households and it, um, is half the price of... Uh, what they used to play with diesel and it enables them to use more energy and um, they have interesting demand side schemes and it's really you know enabled the community to thrive and they're now well when I visited in 2010 they were 98% renewable energy self-sufficient I think it's gone up to 99%. Yeah
0: that's a pretty good effort. Um, Yeah. When you say it costs half the price um, so with the fuel being free essentially uh, what what costs are involved in a, in a setup like that
1: yeah so um, what one of the shifts is you know renewable energy is quite capital intensive at the at the upfront so you've got to buy the technology and you've got to set it up and you've got to do the feasibility assessment and all of those things and and per unit of electricity that tends to be more expensive than, than large-scale central generators. But what you don't have is the cost of fuel because the fuel, as you said, is free. Uh, so basically what you need to do is, is pay back the, the upfront cost over time through an electricity bill.
0: I see. So a little more upfront cost but then free running.
1: Exactly. A little bit yeah. of
0: maintenance, no doubt.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Um, but, but you know, we're getting to a point where these technologies are really reliable as, well, as long as they're installed properly.
0: So, what have you found that really gets a community together and up and running on this sort of, uh, this sort of project?
1: Well, in Australia, the, the early adopters, the groups that, are, that have been pioneering this, have been really motivated by climate change. They, they've been, you know, seen the urgency and the scale of the issue, seen a lack of you know, good, credible government policy that's going to get us, that's going to do the job, and gone, well, we need to do something. I'd put solar on my roof or I can't put solar on my roof. Um, what's next? Um, let's try this community energy thing. This sounds like it's something that, that will make a difference even though it's you know, not going to solve the problem by itself. You know, If we can do it, that means our other, other communities around Australia can do it and it can start to scale and replicate. Okay. And it can show politicians what leadership looks like.
0: Yes, yes. I guess they yeah. do need to be led too, don't they? If they go yeah. their own way, we're all in trouble. Mm.
1: Um, But, you know, those are what what we call the early adopters. But increasingly, um, we're seeing Aboriginal land councils start to get on board and and do this. We're seeing progress and um, uh, chambers of commerce start to get on board and and do community energy because, you know, it's also about local community economic development as well. So when I talked about that win-win Situation earlier because there are so many benefits of it. It means that lots of different people are interested in community energy for their own different reasons.
0: So I guess if you if you're doing that sort of stuff, you're joining the the biggest sort of Earth community you can get with your local sort of community.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really great example of um, think globally, act locally.
0: Mm. So you mentioned the economy there, and I suppose economy, when you really unpack it, is sort of home management when you translate it out of the Greek. And yeah, we seem to have forgotten the home bit a little bit. Um, what are yeah. the what are the what are the processes in in what you're proposing and encouraging, um, sort of I guess between the the global money-driven economy that we have now and uh, and uh, your proposals. So
1: well, I think. There's something about keeping more money circulating at a local level. Mm -hmm. And so um, I have a good friend, uh, a guy called Chris Cooper. He's the guy behind Repower Shoalhaven and It's a community energy group on the South Coast in New South Wales. Um, And when he first did a presentation to his community about this, what he showed was a slide. I wanted to picture a, a slide with lots of Lego figures. And if you think about where those, or, and they represent the community, where do you put your money? So you put your money in a bank, you put your money in property, uh, you put your money in savings or superannuation or something like that, um, and you pay electricity bills and other kinds of bills and, and, and you, know, you pay for food and things like that. Well, what if you put less of your money in the bank and put, or, or in super and put it in a community-owned energy project that was going to power your local community? So you, when you pay your electricity bills, you're essentially paying yourself and some local contractors. Uh, and so less money is going out of your community, both in the investment level and also in your pay, paying your electricity bills level. So it's about starting to create those... Uh, more resilient local economic systems. And, you know, it's it's not completely devoid of a divorce from, from global money flows. You know, there, there are people who've made a lot of money through through the stock market and things like that who are now starting to invest and become seed investors in, in um, community energy projects and, and things like that. Um, a lot of communities partner with large renewable energy companies that are, you know, very large multinational companies. So, you know, it, it's not... Sure. Uh, in terms of you know, it, it, it's it's a, community energy projects are a working hybrid. Um, they're a step towards uh, more local economic resilience.
0: So I guess that sort of leads me on to thinking: what what would happen if the, say the uh, the Wall Street investment banks or something started building all of the <coughs> renewable all of the renewable energy in a country? What uh, what could go wrong there?
1: Well, uh, I think that a um, I, I don't see it happening any uh, anytime soon. But um, <laughs> but if it were, um, uh, well, there's a there's been some research done in the US, and uh, they looked compared the economic benefits of an absentee-owned wind farm versus the economic benefit of a wind farm that has at least some of ownership by the local community, and so the local benefit um, was. Um, two to three times greater in terms of local employment um, and five to six times greater in terms of money coming back to that local community. So what our current economic system aggregates wealth you know, in, in a, a very few. Um, examples of community energy projects uh, start to provide means by which lots and lots of people can start to benefit and share in the wealth of energy production.
0: I guess it gets back to that centralisation, and I guess if you exactly following natural patterns of centralisation, the the prime example's got to be a black hole, isn't it? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess another thing you were sort of hinting at there is there's sort of two parallel economies, isn't there? There's sort of I guess I think David Corton calls them the uh, the Wall Street and the uh, the Main Street economy, and there's the phantom. The, a phantom economy is some other guy, the casino economy. Can you sort of explain the economy that's not really attached to anything real that we do? Or? Uh,
1: well, I am not an economic... I'm not an economist.
0: No, uh-huh. me I'm actually so an matter.
1: engineer by background. Um, but um, And I call myself a change agent these days. Um, but my understanding is that there are lots of futures markets and hedge funds and things like that. And it's a level... You know, of aggregation and um, a sort of abstraction that is quite devoid from the real world. Whereas when you're talking about investing in a community renewables project, you can physically go up and touch the wind turbine or the solar panels. And so, you know, in terms of the future uh, for you know how we operate as societies, I'm going to bet on things that I can touch and see and know what you know, is physically happening there rather than you know, things I can't that have been created as, a, as an economic construct.
0: Yes, conceptual stuff. Yeah. Now you mentioned resilience before. Um, yeah, what, what is resilience?
1: Resilience is the ability of a community and the organism and individual to respond to and, um, and come back from shock. So uh, there's a really great example in Germany. Um, so there are a number of local banks in Germany uh, that proactively supported their, um, their members to invest in local renewable energy. During the global financial crisis when most banks um, were and thus most people were were taking real hits um, financially, those people who had invested, in local renewable energy were still getting about the same rate of return that um, on their investments and on their savings and didn't lose lots of their savings or super funds or pension funds um, because they were investing that locally. So when there's a shock, like the global financial crisis, things that are resilient shouldn't shift too much and that's what um, community energy helps people and communities to do.
0: Yeah, nice one. Well, we're going to listen to a song. So stick around and we'll be back shortly. You're on Community Radio 2 X 983 FM. You're listening to Behind the Lines. And we've been talking to Nikki Ison from the Community Power Agency. G'day. You're on Community Radio 2 X 983 FM. You're listening to Behind the Lines. That was The Tosses with the Ballad of the UN and NATO. Uh, we're talking to Nikki Ison from the Community Power Agency. Where are you based, Nikki?
1: Uh, I'm based in Sydney, but okay. um, there's five people in Community Power Agency, and we're based uh, Sydney, uh, Newcastle, and Melbourne.
0: So there's um, there's a cooperative ownership of the of the energy production equipment. Um, is there? a Say so the maintenance and the setup of that—is that also done by uh, cooperatively owned um, companies, or is that just tendered out to the regular economy?
1: Uh, typically, it's tended out to the regular economy. But if there were people who set up cooperatively owned, um, you know, maintenance companies and things like that, then I think that there would be a good synergy and probably there'd be end up being some collaboration. Um, you know, I think one of the things to say is um, a number of community energy groups are cooperatives legally, but um, other of them use different legal structures. So there's a whole diversity. But you know that principle or that idea of sharing and, and working together and collaborating and and jointly owning something still remains. Doesn't, doesn't you know, necessarily depend on the particular legal
0: structure. So what other ones are common?
1: Uh, so we we see just. Typical company structure, but often people will or a community group will structure a company like a cooperative. One of the main differences is in a cooperative you have one member, one vote, whereas in a company you have one share, one vote. In a company you can put in the constitution that it will be one member, one vote. So um, so they've gone that way. Uh, There's one group that uses a trust structure. Um, But yeah, it's sort of a combination of those three typically.
0: So you can pretty much achieve the result with uh, with any structure you like.
1: Exactly, it just depends what suits the purpose for your community and the project that you're trying to create.
0: So earlier on, you mentioned that um, it was very much like that. It was sort of horses for courses. And, and what um, what are the benefits of having a diversity of, of structures and and sources and stuff?
1: Well, it means that. Uh, uh a business model, a project can be tailored to a particular community context. So every community has slightly different geographical formations, slightly different organisations, slightly different people with slightly different values and motivations. And so it means that you can uh, you know adapt and create a project that is relevant and, and fits the purpose for that particular community rather than trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. That said... There's a lot of collaboration between community energy groups across Australia. Um, you know, we've had to in Australia compared to other countries because we haven't had the supportive policy settings. Um, and so, what that means is, where a community energy group creates a successful project, um, then other community groups will say, "Hey, can we grab, you know, your contracts and your spreadsheets for how you did that?" And then we'll take it and we'll adapt it to our own community. So what we're seeing is the replication and the sharing of information and knowledge and these what we call community energy models um, so, that, so that different communities are doing very similar projects but they're slightly tweaked um, for their own uh, community purposes.
0: So there's a lot of working together within the sector. Um, is, is the model sort of applicable to, to breaking outside the energy sector and into, uh, into other ones? I
1: don't see why not. Uh, you know, certainly the... So one of the things that we've done is we've founded the Coalition for Community Energy, which is set up as a, a collective impact um, model. So it, it, the idea is to facilitate collaboration between community groups. So you know, I don't see whether there's any reason why a group that does community energy can't then support the setup up of a group that's doing community housing or community food production. And then I don't, don't see why the groups who are trying to do those community housing or community food... Can't then learn from the way that we've created the coalition for community energy. That's about facilitating, you know, information sharing and, and um collaboration to address the barriers and challenges that all of the groups across Australia are facing. Um, that said, you know, I do know that there's already great stuff happening in the community food and community housing networks. That's not to say, you know, um, in, in fact they're somewhat more advanced, um, particularly community foods, than than uh, we are in the community energy sector. So.
0: Ah, oh, yeah, but if you're talking yeah. to them, you won't be recreating the wheel either.
1: Exactly.
0: Cool. Um, so how how does it, you, you're saying there's sort of one person or one one member, one vote. How does the, the democratic sort of side of one of these organisations generally work?
1: So typically a community energy project will come from a community group. Um, often a are not not-for-profit association, often they're you know, very responsive to their local community. It's made up of local community members with a particular passion. Um, if those people, you know, have a real commitment to democratic process, then they will support, um, you know, people within their community to be able to participate in that project. And that means uh, having both formal rights to participate through one member, one vote, um, which means that it doesn't matter how much wealth you have, you have the same rights. Um, but also, you know, I think one of the the other aspects of a democratic um, project is enabling people to participate in non-monetary ways, so in voluntary ways and, and things like that, because some people don't have money but do have time.
0: So, I guess you could use that sort of organisation to sort of um, to re- promote innovation. I suppose. I mean, I've, I've been working a while in the renewables industry myself, and. Um, It looks to me like the new technologies that are coming along, say different types of batteries or solar ponds or things that haven't really been commercialised yet are are all going for the the huge, the sort of the grid-sized utility markets and and they're very reluctant to to dip their toes into the smaller household market. Do you reckon that the community sort of uh, market, I suppose, could invest in that?
1: I think there's certainly potential. Um, I think that in Australia, it's, you know, it's pretty bloody difficult to develop a community energy project in Australia. We, like I was saying, we had a really centralised system and all of the rules and economic structures are set up for that economic system So, or that centralised system. It's difficult for a, a, a sort of a small to medium-scale social enterprise to be able to navigate all of the barriers, and they're very boxed in and constrained around what what is possible. So, adding an extra degree of risk around new technology is challenging. But you know, that's where I think we can see really interesting partnerships between government, between private sector, and between the community sector and the community energy sector specifically, because you have different skills and cap- capabilities uh, within each of those sectors. and There's a real passion and drive and commitment in the community energy sector, but there's also a whole bunch of social capital in the community sector that both renewable energy companies, um, unfortunately, and governments uh, often lack. Um, Governments have the possibility to start de-risking and driving down the cost of things, and and, um, then industry has the skills and knowledge to commercialise these technologies. Yeah, we see in the U.S., uh, Obama has just announced his loader moderate income solar package. Did uh, so about a month ago, and basically that whole package, or like a good proportion of it, is about supporting uh, shared or community solar because they recognise that about fifty percent of people in, a, in the U.S. are renters. So what Obama is doing is supporting innovation in new business models, and that's what we want to see. Is, not only innovation in technology, but innovation in business models that goes with the innovative new technologies. Um, and then these, you know, partnership structures, community energy groups are very good at collaborating and working with people. Unfortunately, um, what a lot of community groups are finding is that that business and large corporations have difficulty collaborating with a local community. And so one of the things that we want to see is um, and one of the things that we will, um, at the coalition for community energy level, be working towards is greater partnerships, um, or what we call developer community partnership models. So, being able to essentially teach developers how they can partner better with their community, and in so doing, hopefully get better social license and less backlash and less ability for you know our treasurer or. Um, Prime Minister, to turn around and say they're ugly and people don't like these things because people do like these things. Lots and lots of people like these things to the extent that they want to put their money in these things.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's true. What forms of energy have been uh, been considered and put into practice in Australia? You've mentioned wind and solar. Any others on the sort of drawing board? Or?
1: Yeah, so wind and solar are the, the mainstays community energy around the world, but um, I suppose there are. A few few things. Uh, there's about four or five groups looking at community bioenergy. And when I say bioenergy, I mean sustainable bioenergy. I don't mean whole growth forests or native forests. I mean agricultural waste. I mean uh, food waste, municipal waste, um, uh, you know, and, and a whole range of uh, sort of those types of uh, sources of biomass that can be then digested or um, or gasified to, to generate energy so that's one there's a couple of groups looking at small hydro projects so a couple hundred kilowatt hydro projects um again you know not large dams. that's not what we're talking about here <laughs> um and then there are two other so a couple of groups are looking at um battery storage and combining back at battery storage with solar at the moment um particularly already group do a lot around energy efficiency and we should not rem- forget that the, the demand side and energy reduction and, um, is the most sustainable form of energy, the most sustainable form is the, the energy you don't use. Um, so there's a real focus on that from another number, number of groups. And then I got a call the other day from the guy who was going, hey, I've got this opportunity to potentially combine an electric vehicle charging station with a community solar project. Um, how might, might we go about that? So, yeah, I think there's going to be some really interesting stuff in that space as well.
0: Yeah, right. Well, that was my next question. <laughs> so that, that's basically the first contact that you know of of um, community energy and, and the transport sector? Uh,
1: so, yeah, we've, we've got to... Yeah, I've, I've had contact with a couple of people in, in Australia. Um, certainly in uh, Europe and probably in America, though I'm not, I'm not certain, that's not the case. Uh, for example, in in... I visited a community wind farm in Germany, in central Germany, and it was a partnership between a developer and a local community. Developer built a you know, 120 megawatt wind farm, and the community bought in and owned shares in it. And it's a really great project. Um, and they've you know to start trying to capture more of the value of the electricity generated. Um, they, when I was there, they were trialing electric vehicles, and the, the, basically the developer had gifted, uh, I think, twenty ten. Electric vehicles to community members and said and set up a charging station and said we want to do a little experiment around how this would work and I think my my knowledge is that it worked well.
0: How about um, replacing the the sort of burnable gas that we use in our homes?
1: Um, so uh, uh, one of the models of community energy that um, we talk about is uh, aggregating households, so bulk buys where the a- sort of first type of community energy project we saw in Australia, box or solar. Um, but generally, communities, uh, community groups are less looking at the very individual household level. So I think, you know, uh, Beyond Zero Emissions has done some great work with their um, buildings plan that talks about how we can move away from burnable gas and houses and things like that. But that's kind of less the focus of what community groups are doing at this point.
0: Uh, so what's around the corner for for the community energy sector?
1: <coughs> what, what can we look forward to? Um, well, we can look forward to... Well, well, the main model of community energy that's working and is viable at the moment is, is what we call behind-the-meter or rooftop community energy, and that's where um, you partner with a host site and put a solar array on a roof that's owned by the community and and then they get a dividend and then over t- after 10 years the the ownership of the solar panels reverts to the host site um, so Repower one is um, lives on the Shoalhaven Head bowling Club and so that's the host site for this the project. So when I say that kind of model I'm meaning a commercial 100 kilowatt star size system rather than you know a household two, three kilowatt size system. Um, so that's working. We're going to see lots more of those projects. I reckon we're going to have five or six more up by the end of the year, 10 or 15 up by the end of next year. Um, but one of the things that we're seeing is a lot of community groups working with social housing providers. And so looking at ways that we can increase solar uptake and energy efficiency and, and really low-income houses households in across Australia. So that's something that they can... A challenge that the community energy sector is really taking up. Uh, I think that there's going to be a really important role for ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, to try and support um, and help us to develop larger community energy projects, so community energy projects in the megawatt scale rather than than the hundreds of kilowatt scale. Um, And, you know, we're working with a number of groups at the moment to look at how we can put some application and proposals to ARENA and and we're getting a lot of good feedback, um, you know, Greg Borden, the chair, has been saying some really positive things about community energy, and then we're seeing state governments uh, step up and see and say community energy fits with our with our state government priorities on a whole range of different levels. So the New South Wales government has been leading on this. They've just um, uh, earlier this year released their first round, uh, their second round of a, a grant programs that funded 19. Community energy projects to develop feasibility studies. I should say that the ACT government is really leading on community energy. They've got a one megawatt community solar reverse auction out at the moment. Um, I know two groups attended for that, so I'm I, eagerly awaiting the results of that. And hopefully, we'll see you know Australia's largest community solar project come out of that, um, uh, you know, in and around Canberra. Um, so, so keep your eyes peeled for that one. Um, And then the Victorian government is really um, taking on the challenges of community energy. So, you know, there are about 20 community energy groups in Victoria, but there are a number of regulatory barriers um, unique to the the Victorian context, particularly around retail licensing, a bit complicated. So we're also, you know, working with governments, with regulators, to try and slowly and surely remove those barriers to expand the potential of what's possible. So I suppose one more thing that we would really like to see is the um, government, the federal government, expand and make it possible to do equity-based crowdfunding in Australia. Um, that's something you can do in Europe and the US, and it really enables innovation and people like you and me to invest in innovation um, and startups. ups um, yeah, it's pretty difficult to do here in Australia because of some of the rules associated with the Corporations Act.
0: Yes, right. Just uh, just showing my ignorance in layman's terms. What's equity?
1: Okay, equity is where uh, you invest in something and you get a return on your investment. So, um, you're an owner. You're a financial owner of something. Okay. It differs, say, from debt. Where you know a bank gives you a loan, but they don't own the thing
0: that uh, they give you a loan for. I see. Right, so it's direct ownership. Yeah. Okay. Um, now we've done all this yarning, and we haven't even really talked much about what you guys do. Your website. How do people get in touch with you?
1: Yes. So our website is. Um, well, you can Google us for the Community Power Agency. Um, our website is www.cpagency.org.au um, and we work we do two things we work with community energy groups or groups who would like to set up a community project and support them through the process of developing a project we're not a developer we're not going to do it for you but we will um, make sure that you're headed on the right track that you have the skills that you need and you have the contacts and, and networks that you need to be able to make a project successful um, and then we also work with governments, other organisations, businesses to try and address the barriers facing community energy projects in Australia. So if you're involved in a, a company or, a, um, or you know, involved in a government department, local, state, federal um, and are keen to see how you can support community energy, give us a call.
0: No worries, and I presume you're one of these social enterprises that we were discussing earlier.
1: Exactly, that's what we are. We're actually established as a workers' cooperative. We really believe in cooperatives.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Okie doke, um, and how, how would someone get involved in their local project if they wanted to start one or there was one already going?
1: Yeah, so there's um, another organisation that was set up, You know, there's sort of two specialist community energy organisations in Australia, ours, Community Power Agency, and Embark, and Embark was set up out of Hepburn Lund, and on their website, um, um, embark.com.au, there's a list of all of the community energy groups in Australia that we know about, so there's about 70.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Okay, Nikki Eisen from the Community Power Agency, thank you very much. Is there anything else you want to add before we wind up?
1: I hope that some of your listeners have been inspired, because certainly it's something that inspires me every day. I think this is the kind of change that that's going to revolutionise not our, our energy systems, but our economic systems
0: as well. All right. Thank you very much. Nikki Ison from the, uh, the Community Power Agency. Thanks. Good on you.